Uh, this morning, uh, we are reading and looking at Luke 19, verses 28 through 44. Let me read these for us. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, and they will, yeah, because you did not know the time of your visitation. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. So we, this is one of the final sermons in our sermon series, Encountering Jesus, where we've looked at how different people are encountering Jesus, what that says about them, and what it says about who Jesus is as well. And in two weeks, uh, the week after Easter, we're going to start a new sermon series. I'm still working on the, the title of that series, but it's going to be something like First Language or Learning to Speak or something like that. It's going to be uh, give us language to be able to speak about who we are and what we want to be doing here at the table, why we exist. Some people call those visions and values. That's kind of what they are, but um, I like to throw new language on things as well. So um, it's going to give us some, some, some ways to speak about um, who we are and what God is doing in our lives as well. The interesting thing about this encountering Jesus story is I think we've always been encountering Jesus, and we will continue to encounter him just every day in our own lives as well as uh, here in this space and worship as well. Last week, we talked about silence and what it means to be able to listen for God. As I said before, this week, we're going to talk about music. 
I love music. Absolutely love music. I love having a record player. I love having wireless sound uh, throughout my house. I love being able to pump music and set a mood or a tone for whatever uh, I'm doing, uh, whether it's working out or being sad or a dance party that we have here in the middle of the floor as well. One of my new favorite places to go is in the city is ESP Hi-Fi. It's a listening bar. It has uh, They have coffee during the day so I can go there and I can get some work done. Um, and then they have cocktails and natural wines uh, in the evening as well. It's really cool. It's like way I, I don't feel cool enough to be there uh, but they play vinyl all the whole time and so they're constantly just playing a side of an album and then another side and they sometimes pick the most esoteric stuff out there and somehow still it just sounds so beautiful and rich and full and so they have these massive vintage speakers uh, up on the wall as well as these ones that stand uh, about um, you know waist high if not a little higher as well and they just it just hugs you the way this music comes out and surrounds you and gives you, and it's loud, but it's not that loud. You can still have a conversation uh, around it as, as well, but you feel it. You feel it in your heart. You feel it in your soul. It inspires you sometimes not as much as what I would have liked on Friday. I had to do some more work on my sermon uh, yesterday, but I love music and I love going to places that have music. I love concerts. I love pumping the music up so loud that I can't hear anything else. It actually helps me work. It helps me focus. It blocks out all the other distractions around. Um, most people that I have a relationship at one time or another have told me to turn the music down. Uh, the guy whose office is right next to me, I don't know how our walls are that thin. Uh, he is constantly telling me to turn my music down or he's closing my door for me. Uh, Stacy almost always tells me to turn the music down. Down. Um, I never take that as a compliment, um, but I love I love music. It's an essential part of my life. I assume it, we all love music in here to one degree or another. We have a favorite style, a favorite genre um, that we love to to listen to. Kurt Vonnegut said, "If I should ever die, God forbid, let this be my epitaph. The only proof he needed for the existence of God was music." Victor Hugo said, music expresses that which cannot be put into words and that which cannot remain silent. Nietzsche said, and those who were seen dancing were thought to be insane by those who could not hear the music. It's interesting to me that Nietzsche also said, religion is the opiate of the masses, and we get up in arms about that, but I think it's kind of true. Yeah, it dulls our senses to the pain and suffering around us, not in a way that we then avoid the pain and suffering, but in a way that we see the truth of what this world is all about. I don't know that I totally disagree with Nietzsche on that. And paired with this quote on music, I think music does the same thing. It warms our heart. It hugs us. It gives us new language. It gives us a new um, way of being. It sets a mood and a tone for us in our lives as well. And in this passage, I think there are two different types of music being sung. The first one we see is one of joy and peace. And the other one is one of death and destruction. They're both true of our lives. We both have, we, we experience both of these quite often. But Jesus is the one who can bring both these genres together in an honest and pure way. 
And so this morning, we're going to look at why we can sing both these songs, and and, in other words, who Jesus is. We're going to look at the songs that we sing, and we're going to look at the song that Jesus sings at the end of the passage as well. So why are we singing? What songs are we singing? And what song does Jesus sing? The reason we sing is because Jesus is king. That's the reason we sing. Yeah, I'm going to read this, the first bit of this passage again. Uh, Luke 19. That's how you avoid dead space. You just say the thing over again. All right, Luke 19, 28 through 36. And when he said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. This is a royal scene. This is how someone who had left and done his conquering far off or would, had finally conquered a city would come and enter it. The difference is that Jesus is riding a colt and not a massive steed. That would have meant war and that he was the conqueror returning. But Jesus riding a colt is a symbol of peace and what he longs to bring to the city. One of the interesting parts about this is that Jesus wasn't voted in. He probably may have won the popular election back then, but probably would have lost the electoral, uh, But um, as we've now experienced uh, in our lives. But it, it wasn't our agency that puts a king into place. A king comes and rules rightly because that's who he is. He has ownership of it. He has authority here in this place. When Jesus says the Lord has need of it, that was enough information for the owners of the cult to go, okay, I guess we'll give it, we'll give it to God. Lord is one of these words that uh, we have translated in the New Testament that finds its beginning in the Old Testament. And we see it quite a lot. We see it both in its regular capital L, lowercase o-r-d, but then we also see it in a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That would have demarked the name, the personal name of God as Yahweh. And here we see, and so the word then in the Greek translation of the Old Testament would have been kurios. And here we see Jesus saying, telling his disciples and the disciples telling the owners of the cult that the kurios, the Lord, Yahweh has need of this cult. Jesus has authority. It's his rightful place to rule uh, this area because he is God who has come incarnate. It's such a weird, strange, serene scene that Jesus is going, he knows what's about to happen, and he's prophesying about the cult and asking for it. The, the owners don't confront it. The disciples don't really ask any questions. They're, the things are working as they should be. Things are at peace. A cold, uh, like I said, a colt rather than a seed, uh, steed symbolizes 
peace. This is a royal image. This is how a king enters a city. Jesus is king. We experience a lot of kings still this day. The king of rock and roll was Elvis. The king of the blues was B.B. King. I don't know if that was because of his last name or if someone bestowed that upon him. Uh, The king of pop was Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson wanted a nickname, and this is the nickname that he gave himself. And he had a contract with MTV and the VJs that two to three times a week, each VJ would mention Michael Jackson, the king of pop, and his new song or new album or whatever is coming out. But even if he didn't have a new album coming out, he wanted to be called the king of pop. And so that's, that's how it started. That's how it got going. We all want to be king. I think we all want to be king because there's something in our hearts that tell us this is what needs to happen. I think Game of Thrones got it wrong. Have you seen Game of Thrones? Maybe you have. It's an HBO series. Um, it's, it started out really well in this who is the rightful king to go to the throne. And we had these different parties. And finally, we find out that John is the one, John Snow is the one who's going to be the rightful king. And there's all these wars and fighting and all that, dragging it on for eight seasons or so. And then they get to the end. I hate to spoil it for you, but John doesn't sit on the throne. Instead, they exile him back because he defeated the other person that was fighting for the throne. And instead, they vote Brant in and put him on it. They go back to agency. They go back to voting. And somehow the Game of Thrones writers thought this was going to be satisfying to us. But it's not. They got it wrong. Disney gets it right right? Good always conquers. The rightful king sits on the throne. Lord of Rings got it right. The rightful king returns and sits on the throne. Star Wars got it right. These are stories that continue and have longevity because we want a rightful king to come and sit on the throne. All kings promise them, promise things. Very few of them deliver like Lord of the, or like uh, Game of Thrones didn't deliver. Uh, But we all want to be kings. We all want to be queens. We want our say. We want our vote to count. And it's never that it, it, these things never give us the lasting peace and joy that we want. The lie that we're fed is that agency, voting, making choices ourselves lead to lasting joy and peace. It never does. Maybe it's momentary. Maybe it's extended. But it always seems to fade away. What we need to do is recognize that Jesus is king. Quite often, we take Jesus and conform him to our ideas about what a king is about. Again, we want a vote. The problem is we begin to see that Jesus loves the things that we love. He loves the people that we love, and he hates the same things that we hate as well. Suddenly, he's merely a king made in our image. He becomes a puppet king and not a true king. We need a true king, though, and that a king that comes is Jesus. He tells us who we should love. He tells us what, not who, what we should hate. And we begin to see that we are conformed to his likeness, to his image. And we begin to see that he reigns and rules in our lives, giving us lasting peace and lasting joy. But what, made, what makes diff- Jesus different? as a king. It's that joy and that peace that he brings. The crowds sing a new song. The crowds sing alleluias and hosannas. Look at verses 37 and 40 with me. 
starts out, As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Two words that are being used here, Hosanna and Alleluia. Both of them are giving praise to God for what he has done. Hosanna means please save us. It's them shouting out. That particular word doesn't fall in this passage and how they translate it, but it's in the corollary passages as well. And please save us is actually incredibly close to the grammatical structure of the name Jesus, Yeshua. Jesus means God saves. Yeshua, Yahweh saves. And they're singing Hosanna. This is a song that they had sung before, but they're singing it in a new way. The crowd is singing Psalm 118. This is a victory uh, song. It was a pilgrim song that uh, the, when the Israelites would ascend to Jerusalem, Jerusalem was high on a hill, and when they would make their way up there, particularly for uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a feast in which they celebrated the temple and God's dwelling with them, they would sing this song. It was a hymn of praise to God who defeated their, his enemies and all their enemies and established his kingdom on earth. They would have sung this and with hope and longing in their hearts that someday God would send his true king. And now here in this passage, we see that they are singing it because it is being fulfilled in Jesus. There are two aspects of the song that he's singing. Two things that set Jesus apart as king, peace and joy. Peace is this Hebrew Old Testament concept of shalom. It's a concept of peace that Jesus would have uh, completely been working with uh, from the Old Testament. It goes well beyond our English word for peace, which just kind of says we're, we're good, everything's chill, it's calm, things are, are working. But it encompasses this wholeness, this health, a thriving. It's not that we don't have pain in our bodies anymore but that our, our bodies are functioning fully in how God created them to be. We, ex we long for shalom in our bodies quite often when our back hurts, when our knee goes out, when we're hoping um, that our, our bodies would be growing new life in them as well. It's interesting. This word peace is an in-between word. It kind of it really demarcates uh, relationships, right? It's interpersonal, whether it's us with our own bodies or us with relationships and our marriages, with our friendships as well. It's similar to harmony. Harmony in music is when two or more notes are played simultaneous, simultaneously, and they have a sonically pleasing result. Harmony brings notes together, and when you start to look at music theory, this is how chords are made or how uh, transitions or uh, progressions are, 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 are created as well. They're complementary tones. They go together. They don't hurt your ear when you hear them. Joy is the other emotion. 
joy is the other thing that's being sung about here. And it's an emotion. It's a feeling of goodness despite the circumstances. It kind of has more of an internal tone to it. It comes from being a part of something that's bigger than yourself. Every day may not be amazing, but we can know that there is someone, I would argue Jesus, more powerful than our circumstances. And we are connected, when we are connected to him, we can see joy, we can have joy, even when it doesn't seem like there is joy. I think the musical illustration for this is melody. This is the foreground to the background elements. It's musically satisfying, and it's often the most memorable part of songs as well. It's that that part that gets stuck in our head and rolls over and over and over again. It's also individual notes. It doesn't actually always, like they all run together and all that, but it's not that things are played together. It is, is moments that happen, and it plays over the background. So whatever's happening in the background, joy can become the melody and come to the foreground. The Pharisees wanted these crowds to stop singing. And they're, I think, like, every, like I said, every other person in my life who wants me to turn the music down. We face a lot of people that want us to turn the music down. There's a lot of that. But Jesus responds to them, if they stop singing, if we stop singing, the rocks will cry out. They will sing. This is the true song that we get to sing when Jesus is king. The problem with music is we have to learn it. I took guitar lessons for a really long time. I never took voice lessons. Maybe I should have. But um, uh, I would every Thursday at 3 o'clock, I would speed, literally speed. I got pulled over a couple times. Uh, speed from high school uh, across town to see Matt Giovanetti, and he would teach me how to play guitar. I remember the first time I picked up a guitar, and the guy was like, yeah, you know how to play? And I was like, oh, yeah. I was in sixth grade. I didn't know how to play. And I just put my fingers down on these chords and strum, and it was horrible. I didn't know how to form a G or an A or a C or anything like that. Matt taught me how to do that. He taught me theory. He taught me what it looked like to put progressions together. He taught me how to play the guitar. We need someone to teach us these songs. We think we can do it on our own, though. We think that, again, by our voting, by our agency, we can create joy and peace in our lives. One of the ways that I do that, I hope I'm not alone, is when I feel disturbed and not at peace, um, I, as a guy, this is a little shameful to admit, uh, I go shopping. I'm going, what is that new thing I can grab onto? Is it an iPad? Is it a new pair of shoes? Is it a new fly rod? Sometimes it is a new fly rod. Uh, But that will give me satisfaction, that will bring me that joy and peace in my life. I'm grabbing at anything that I can. But what happens is my life just begins to look more like a hoarder and stuff is piled up in my garage. That's a different issue out there. I'm talking about my dad. Um, But stuff is piled up in our garage forever and ever and our kids end up having to clean it out. We do this maybe with an exercise or a diet program. We do it with how we raise our kids. We do it with how we jump in and out of relationships. We constantly believe that our agency Our votes will bring us happiness, but we end up just as empty as we were before. We need King Jesus to come and sing the joy and peace into our lives. We need him to teach us the songs, the lyrics, the chord progressions, to give us the melodies 
and the harmonies. He is the one who brings wholeness to our lives, to our bodies, to our relationships. He's the one who teaches us the songs of forgiveness, how we can do that, how we can know forgiveness in our lives. He's the one who teaches us peace, that not everything relies on us. He's the one who brings joy to our hearts, even when circumstances around us tell us something is not right, even when life is not going right. He teaches us how to love, how to give of ourselves, how to be sacrificial to one another. When we make Jesus king in our lives, we are given a song of joy and peace. And we can do that. He can give us that song because there are other songs to sing. And Jesus actually sings a different song at the end of this passage. Jesus, this is... Jesus sings the blues. There's no way around that. That's what he's doing here at the last part uh, of what we have this morning. Verses 41 through 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that would make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. The crowds have been chanting and singing hosannas as he's entering Jerusalem and Jesus has this calm serenity all about him, about what's happening around him. He's no hype man. He doesn't need to like throw more energy into this. But it's right. He says this is what they should be doing. He rebukes the Pharisees when they, when he tell, when they tell him to be quiet. But through the fanfare, through what's happening on Palm Sunday, he can see to Good Friday. He can see beyond it, and he pauses. He surveys the crowds. And he tastes the resistance that he's going to face in the Pharisees. And on the cusp of entering Jerusalem, he weeps over it. Jesus' heart is to bring peace and joy to Jerusalem. But he knew the reality of that city. He knew that they would reject the song he wanted to sing and ultimately reject them. He knew that because of their rebellion, they would eventually be destroyed. Jesus is singing the blues. Jesus is riffing on, blues are always riffing on, on a different uh, track, and there's a melody that's going over that. He is riffing on Psalm 137. It's not really a top 40 hit. It's deep on the B-sides of the Psalms. Pastors uh, regularly in conversations that I have with other pastors, they're going, why is this even in here? Jesus says, for the day will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon you, uh, upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is a blues song. Uh, this is a song that, the, that Israel originally composed when they were in exile. Their captors, the Babylonians, kind of as they're oppressing them and making them do hard labor, said, hey, sing us one of those Zion songs. 
while they're away from their home, when the city has been destroyed. And they, that's how they start the song out. They say, how, how can we sing when we're in exile, when Jerusalem, the place where God dwells, has been destroyed? And they, they end it by saying, dash their children against the rocks. This is not something we are comfortable with. This is not something that we are that we we express in our hearts, even though we feel it's probably not the song the Babylonians had in mind either. And yet it is music, and it was included in our canon. Music sets our moods. Music sets the tone. It can give us joy or sadness. It can bring celebration, and it can also bring rebellion. I can put something on the record player, and it can completely change my mood for what I'm feeling. It can uplift my heart. Or somebody else can put a sad song on, uh, and it can bring me down as well. If I want to feel something upbeat, Andrew Bird is usually where I go, go with one of his soaring violin solos, and it just fills the whole house for me. If I want to indulge my still lingering teenage angst, I may go to Rage Against the Machine or Nirvana, something that's going to harness that teenage angst and reinforce it for me. There are major keys and there are minor keys in music. Major is that uplifting beat that we feel. It, it is a, um, how would you describe it? It's, it's uplifting, right? A minor key are those, those flats, those that bring us down, that, that harness the, the pain and sadness, if you will. Blues have always been a mainstay of the African-American community, and they've reached out uh, into the hearts of many around that community as well. B.B. King has a song called Why I Sing the Blues. I think, I think it's in the major key, which is incredibly ironic for what it is. Because while it's super upbeat, while it's wildly melodic, the horns and drums are driving and it just brings you in and you're like, all right, this is going to be a really good song. He starts to sing. Everybody know, wants to know why I sing the blues. When I first got the blues, they brought me over on a ship. Men were standing over me and a lot more with a whip. And everybody want to, want to know why I sing the blues. Well, I've been around a long time. I've really paid my dues. And he goes on from there. His suffering, the pain that he has experienced, informs his song. His songs. Blues are, are laments. And laments are a very biblical song that is honest about our emotions, both the positive but especially the negative ones. I think in the church so often we've been taught that we cannot express our negative emotions about what's going on around us. We can't be honest about the pain and suffering that's going into our lives. We have to be very Pollyanna about it. We have to stick our head in the sand. We have to only sing the major songs. But the Bible gives us minor ones as well. The Psalms are full of laments. They give us a medium to bring our honesty to God. And we so often, when we form Jesus into our image, and we say that he's a king and our own likeness, instead of being formed, conformed to him, we conform him to us, and we make him smaller than who he is. We say that he is not big enough to handle all of the suffering, all of the ugly parts, all of our sin, all of our pain that we carry. And so we don't bring those to him. It causes us to doubt his goodness as a king, 
Because we continue to face suffering in this world, we continue to see it outside ourselves and within. We often ask why the suffering has to exist. And I think we want a reason for the suffering, but God never gives us that. I don't think having a reason for suffering would make it any easier, but he does give us a way to express that. I started praying the Psalms on a really regular basis, um, maybe about six years ago. Um, We got pregnant really easily with Michael. Everything went really smooth. We had him. He was two or so. We began trying again. We got pregnant right away. Not a problem. And about five weeks in, things started to go wrong. The first miscarriage, I was upset. It hurt. Didn't quite know what to do. Michael was there. He was able to drag me out of my depression. It was still summer in, in Atlanta, um, and so we were able to be outside. The second one, though, was in November. It started to be overcast. I was feeling the weight of two losses, and God said, hey, let's, let's look at the Psalms together. And I began to read through those, and I began to see my emotions, my heart open up to the pain that I was experiencing, but also the glories of God's grace and who he is and how he meets us in the midst of our suffering. He gives us a song to sing because he is honest about what this world is. And so he comes as a king to sing. He is big enough to handle all of our lives, for us to bring all of our joys, our peace that he gives to us, but also the pain that we experience in our lives. I think it's sometimes hard, though, to hear these hosannas that he gives us over the suffering that we sing as well. There's a problem, though, that's been solved before. In uh, late 2006, Apple released iTunes 7. And solved a huge problem in digital music. With, with analog music, with vinyl and with tapes, you can run the tracks right up to one another. They're not separate files. But in digital music, all the different songs are different tracks and they're different files. So there has to be a gap in between them. So even if a band wanted to put together like a live album, they wouldn't be able to do it with seamless music coming forth. There would always be about a two-second gap or so. But the engineers at Apple, as they continue to do for us, they figured out a way to solve this problem with gapless playback. Instead of the tracks being separate, they figured out how to use the software to begin a song, and the new song, before the old one had ended. So they didn't alter the tracks. They had iTunes crossfade the tracks. So they would start a second or a few milliseconds before the current song ended. The result was uninterrupted music. It was an undetectable transition. The old song song was still playing, but a new song has already begun. Some of us may still hear one of the tracks playing of suffering, of pain, the blues going on. But Jesus, at the same time, is beginning another track for us. When we turn him on, when we look to him as king, he begins to sing in us the hosannas 
the hallelujahs. Jesus the King gives us a new song to sing, a song that's both honest about the pain in our lives, but also a song of peace and joy that he reigns and rules here as well in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, we, um, we thank you. We thank you that you are not a God who is far off from our pain and suffering, but one who comes in and enters it, and not only enters it, but conquers it. Lord, as we sing with the crowds this Sunday, we also know that we have rebelled against you as well. And so we long to see your resurrection on Easter Sunday. We long to see you overturning death and destruction. We long to hear that new song sung in our lives, one that gives us life instead of takes it. Lord, we pray that you would be near to us, that you would be near to us in our pain and our suffering and our heartache, and that you would be the song, the king that we see in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.